Hey, and welcome to another episode of the MTB Fitness Podcast. I've got a really interesting episode coming up for you today. I'm speaking to Kate Weatherly. Now, it's interesting and different, really, than anything we've done in the past. Now, Kate actually started out as a man, and then she changed genders and sort of transitioned over into becoming a woman. And she's now, obviously, classed as Kate. She's a woman, and she races World Cup downhill in the Women's League after starting out in the Men's League. So we go into tons of detail in the podcast about this and about sort of like all the the stigma I suppose you could say around it and um, what the other races are like, just everything really. It's a really, really fascinating episode and it's not something that I ever could have predicted talking about really on the episode, but it's really, really good. Kate's great to speak to, really interesting, super positive. So I think you'll really enjoy this episode. So without further ado, it's a short introduction today. I will introduce Kate onto the podcast. Thanks so much. Hey podcast, today I'm speaking to Kate Weatherly. Now Kate's 21 and she started out mountain biking racing downhill in the men's league. When she transitioned to a woman, she moved over into the women's league and is now 2018 and 19 New Zealand elite downhill national champion. That was a mouthful. <laughs> there has naturally been a lot of controversy surrounding Kate moving over to the women's league and it's honestly going to be really fascinating diving into it to hear Kate's perspective on it all. But I think a big thing that I really want to talk about today is the mental strength that it takes to transition over into the women's and I'm sure Kate can tell us all about it. There's going to be, I was saying to Kate before we came on, like I'm completely open-minded to everybody. I just want everybody to be happy. So I could not care less if you're gay, straight, bi, black, white. Like I honestly don't care. I just want everybody to be happy, but not everybody in this world has the same kind of open-minded opinion so I'm sure there's been like you know hate thrown her way and stuff and I think it takes a hell of a lot of mental resilience and strength to carry on racing in the women's league and to batter it all off so I'm really interested to talk about all that side of things and um, but yeah Kate thank you so much for coming on. Sorry thanks Matt thanks for having me on. So I, th- I think a great way to start really would just be for you to tell us a little bit about about yourself and your whole background. So, you know, your childhood, moving into your teens. Am I right in thinking you got into mountain biking in 2013? Uh, yeah, it was sort of a little bit before then. Um, my family used to have a house um, down south of where we live um, in Taupo, New Zealand. And there was sort of some, some little kind of, I guess you call them mountain bike tracks, but they were more kind of walking paths. Um, and I... Then we had a little hardtail that I used to just tittle around on and um, someone had built some jumps and I was like, oh, you know, look like a lot of fun. So I um, started kind of getting used to getting in the air and had a lot of fun. Um, when I went back to high school that year, which I think would have been 2012, um, I had a friend who was doing some mountain biking up at Woodhill in Auckland, New Zealand, and um, he was like, oh, you should come ride. So I kind of you know, did some rides with him and was just absolutely stoked on it, which is really funny because my parents have been trying to get me into mountain biking for several years and <laughs> sort of mainly in the kind of cross-country realm of things, and I hated it. Just could not stand having to go up hills. Um, but <laughs> going down them, on the other hand, was amazing. So I hadn't really been that sporty a kid. Like, I'd done pretty much everything under the sun, but for some reason, mountain biking is really stuck, and um, I saved up my pennies pretty much all year and bought myself a downhill bike and um just basically been racing non-stop ever since so how old were you when you got that downhill bike you'll have been 15 is that right yeah right, 15 yeah 
Oh, nice. So did you start racing straight away or when did you went to, so when did you get into downhill mountain biking and then how long yeah, was it before no, you started racing? Pretty much straight away into racing. I, um, I think nice. I bought my downhill bike and then went down to Rotorua to do my first race, I think, uh, the weekend after. So it was a very, oh. very small time to get used to a bike before <laughs> I happened to really dive into racing. I think that first race, um, it's a track I can do in about three minutes now. I think it took me eight or nine minutes at the time to get down. <laughs> So you could definitely didn't have a natural talent. <laughs> Were you nervous about entering when you weren't necessarily fast to start off or did you just not care? Um, I think I was definitely nervous before the race in a, you know, kind of it's a race. Everyone gets nervous kind of way. But like, I think actually in terms of just getting down the track, I think my biggest concern was hold, just holding people up. But um, I went okay. down, you know, very early. So I, yeah, I didn't really have nerves in that sense. It was just kind of, wild and fun I didn't want to crash too many times <laughs> and then you carried on racing regular didn't you and then you ended up in the men's elite is that right uh, uh no actually I okay. um only only ever reached sort of mid-pack um in the men's field because it wasn't actually that long after I started riding that I also then started transitioning so that okay. begins began with um, hormone blockers, which um, I was quite a sick kid. I had a lung disease called bronchiectasis, which basically meant that um, I had whooping cough and pneumonia at the same time, which resulted in um, scarring in my lungs, which sort of meant that I was kind of in and out of the hospital for the first sort of few years of my life. So um, uh. I started puberty quite late because my body was, you know, busy keeping me alive and not worrying about pumping me full of testosterone. So um yeah. I didn't really start until sort of 16 years old um and then when I was 17 I started hormone blockers and um then very soon after estrogen which pretty much killed the small amount of puberty that I had going for me and I started sort of female puberty almost immediately so and so I raced for several years um in the male field whilst having a female sort of hormone I guess uh, hormone levels which yeah. the result of which was um I was already training quite hard at that point I really loved training you know I didn't know what I was doing but I was trying to pick up weights and put them down and ride the road bike <laughs> that's a and, good place to start <laughs> <clears throat> yeah well it was very funny because I was doing a lot of stuff and still finishing reasonably badly and getting beaten by you know guys who only rode like once a month and uh, it was okay. pretty demoralizing but you know it's kind of what happens when you're got no testosterone you're racing against people who are full of it yeah so how what age were you when you knew that you wanted to become a woman were you like perfectly happy as a boy when you were younger or you always known that you felt differently like what what happened there it's quite a weird kind of I guess process because you don't really know like there's no kind of way to put a name on it so for uh, I knew that I there's something was up pretty much since I can remember like I felt you know, different. I sort of was more, I guess, um, pulled towards female things and other girls and that kind of thing. But I sort of knew that I was a boy and I should be doing boy things. So there was this quite a big disconnect in kind of what I wanted to be doing, what I sort of felt pulled towards, but then what I felt like I should be doing. And for a long yeah. time, I kind of didn't know what was going on. And then when I, around when I turned 15, I was sort of introduced to the idea of trans people and kind of not like, I guess like Caitlyn Jenner, you know, older, but like young trans people who 
were like me and I was like oh oh wow that's like what I have um so what that meant was it kind of as soon as I turned 15 I kind of had the concept of what it was that I was feeling and then that's when I started then being like oh I can transition and da, 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 and that's when I started kind of pursuing things so it was very much my sort of mountain biking life and my transition of kind of almost always been in parallel but not really intersecting until last year yeah so when you I can imagine it's got the vast majority of people and myself included obviously won't have a clue what it feels like and it's really interesting I think trying to trying to understand it really and trying to understand you know how you felt and so when I imagine there was obviously a lot of confused period was it like you you just realized one day that you wanted to become a woman or was it a really gradual thing like obviously you said when you were 15 you're interested you were introduced to the concepts of trans people like what 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 was that whole period like does that make sense yeah it was no it was very it was very weird because it was a lot of back and forth between you know me going oh this is something I want to do and like no 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 you can just be happy living as a guy you know you should just kind of stay with how you are that looks too stressful and I knew obviously that it was very taboo and you know like I heard about people um like I think her name was uh Leia Alcorn or something I can't remember her name exactly but she was a trans woman living in America who her parents disowned her when she came out uh, and that did eventually lead to her committing suicide which was horrible yeah, and horrific you know the the idea of my parents you know disowning me was terrifying and you know, I didn't really know how they would react so it was sort of a lot of time going back and forth back and forth you know I would sort of think about when, it and then I would go into denial and then think about it and back into denial and it was sort so of when like you that say that was all in your head, is that right? When you said you were going yeah, back and 100%, forth, hundred percent, hundred percent, my head. Yeah, right. That must have been horrific. Oh uh, yeah, no, it was. It was not a good time in my life. Um, but yeah, when I eventually did um sort of come out and start talking to people about it, it kind of made it real. And then I was like, no, this is something I want to do regardless of the negative ramifications that it has. Like I have to do this if I want to be happy. Yeah, it must have taken a lot of mental strength to decide what, who was the first person you told, if you don't mind me asking anyway. Um, so the first person I told was um, my partner um, and sort of, you know, he was really chill about it and he was like, oh yeah, no, all good. Um, and so sort of we worked through things together and then the next person I told was my mum, then my dad and, you know, kind of, it was sort of fairly kept on the down low for quite a while, like it didn't really come out properly actually until um the start of last year yeah and that so by saying you didn't come out you mean you didn't come out to say i'm a woman yeah so you sort of is that right um, in the kind of trans field you sort of have what you would call living sort of you know you're not coming out so you're transitioning or talking about transitioning whatever but not everyone knows um okay so i hadn't legally changed my name i hadn't you know, sort of posted on Facebook to tell everyone and that kind of thing. So there were some people who yeah. knew I was trans and there were a lot of people who didn't know that I was trans, which is why I was sort of able to keep racing in the men's field for such a long time was just because people didn't actually know. Of course. Yeah, I understand. So when you, you ended up, I don't know if this is the right phrase, but you ended up kind of being outed before you wanted to come out, yeah. didn't you, when you were racing? Yeah, so... um. I've, I've always been a fairly, like, a socially anxious person. It's sort of, you know, I get nervous about, you know, big gatherings, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. 
So I was sort of putting off having to come out kind of as long as I could because I was scared of what people would say and, um, yeah. And that kind of thing. So, um, but I don't actually know how he found out, but a photographer at one of the races, um, found out about me and was sort of making jokes about it and telling people. And um, uh, I freaked, freaked out, obviously, because I was like, oh, God, this is too soon and all that kind of thing. But um, people were really chill at the time. And I was like, oh, actually, maybe maybe it will be chill. And so as a result, after talking to, you know, friends and family, everyone was like, yeah, no, like, you should do it. You've, you know, been transitioning long enough. There's no reason why you shouldn't. Um, Cycle New Zealand and um, the UCI had brought in a policy um, sort of to govern, I guess, what would allow a trans person to race in the other category. Um, and I was well and truly within their policy sort of boundaries. So at that point, yeah. I was like, well, why not? <laughs> yeah, I think for those listening, I was reading about this earlier. The um, I've got it written down. Just forgot. So the average testosterone level for a young man is 242 uh, 24.2 and then for women it's around 0.6 now yours was in yeah. the 0.1 to 0.9 range wasn't it yeah so basically non-existent it's um there's sort of a, a testing sort of room for error it's like there's a plus or minus 0.5 percent um yeah in the tests so basically the assumption is it's nothing to a very little bit of testosterone yeah. so either at the level the average level of um a regular female or below yeah so it must have been very hard when you were racing against other men with really high testosterone levels yeah incredibly demoralizing you know training they're really hard like i was really enjoying it i was riding a lot but you know i think my best ever finish in open men so not even in new zealand we have open men and elite men so open men is kind of like amateurs or sort of you know it's kind of the the more the, the beer category you know like yeah you know, have one before you race, whatever, whereas the elite men are kind of a Got bit it. more serious. So yeah. my best finish ever in open men was a fifth. Right, okay. Got and it. I was normally around mid-pack, but I was training a lot more, riding a lot more than anyone else I was competing against, yeah. but still finishing worse than them. And it was it was pretty hard to, you know, kind yeah. of stomach that when I really loved the sport. I wanted to be doing the best I could, but just... You know, and I mean, there are positives from it. Like, I think it pushed me really hard. Like, I think a lot yeah. of, um, you know, girl riders, there's not a lot of competition, especially in New Zealand. It's a pretty small field. So it's kind okay. of, it's it's hard to get really, really pushed to, you know, push yourself, take risks. And for me, it was sort of, you know, my, my fitness and my strength weren't there. So I had to push myself really hard to, yeah. you know, ride even close to the level that the, um, the guys are riding at. So why did you why did you carry on? What was it inside you that made you carry on racing against the guys rather than just saying, "Oh, I'm gonna pat this in"? Honestly, I have no idea. Uh, it's it's crazy. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I really love the sport, and regardless of whether or not I was racing or not, I would still be doing it. But I am yeah. quite a competitive person, and I really, really love racing. So you know, I think whether or not I'm coming first or last, I would always be racing and I love it. And yeah, so it's kind of, it doesn't really matter how I'm, how I'm finishing. I'm still going to beat myself up in the gym and ride my bike as hard as I can. So you love the process rather than just being on the podium. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's like, yeah, I really, and it's really interesting. Like I love strength and conditioning. Like I'm not, you know, sort of professionally trained in any way, but I really love reading into it, learning up about it, you know, 
yep. hearing about you know sort of the processes of the body figuring out how i can get better at training where i'm sort of lacking and kind of all the you know i've always been a, a bit of a nerd so it's kind of kind of you know the, the nerdy side of bike biking i guess yeah yeah i understand and like tweaking your training programs and yeah. and playing around with all that side of it what is it you said that you love racing what is it that you love about racing um I, I mean i guess maybe like kind of the adrenaline rush the um you know the whole kind of going up and having one run to you know do your fastest run you can possibly do and you know i guess the the pressure and you know kind of getting to the bottom and having that relief of you know finishing a good run like yeah. I don't know it's kind of weird like I I don't really know but it's I love it <laughs> <laughs> so I know you've listened to a few of the episodes in the past and one thing that I've spoken to a few people who've come on the podcast about is performing at your best when you absolutely have to so I would imagine that you obviously a lot of athletes when they're setting up for their race downhill run they have to go through a certain process to get themselves into the zone and to get focused and to make sure that they do perform to stay calm and everything I would imagine that you've almost got another layer when you were racing in the men's league before anybody knew about it because you I imagine I mean I could be wrong here but you've probably got a lot more on your mind as well haven't you so how did you put everything that was going on in your life to the back of your head and just focus on that one run do you have any tips for for everybody listening yeah no I'm it, no I think um mental game is a huge part of it. I think a lot of people kind of don't really think about it but you see it a lot with you know people who qualify really well and then just for some reason they just can't put it down come yeah race run I think you know the sort of I guess the mental side of things is huge and it's super important I think it's one of the thing one of the reasons why I do as well as I do is because I feel like my my mind game is quite strong and um yeah I think for me it's just getting into like a rhythm and not even thinking about it you know like i put my headphones in on the uplift and then i have a you know specific warm-up i do and um i sort of i'll figure out earlier in the day how long the uplift is going to take so i can get up there with plenty of time and i don't bother watching the track or the other races when they're riding down um you know i stay within myself focus on my warm-up um you know but i chill out like i'm not like okay like i gotta focus on this bit of track and worry about this jump and you know, like yeah. I just try and stay really chilled out. And um, one of the reasons I know I've had a good run is if I get to the bottom and I don't remember my run. So this is something I can't remember. I was watching a video. I can't, I can't remember what video it was, but it's something that I've been trying to do much more recently. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's finding flow, isn't it? So it's almost letting your subconscious do it. So a, a good example for everyone listening is when you're driving your car and then suddenly you snap out of it and you're like, oh my God, I've been driving for two miles and I can't remember the last two miles. And that's when you've just gone completely into that state of flow and your subconscious mind is doing the work for you. Um, and it's kind of the same with mountain biking and with riding downhill. It's like, like you just said, you can't actually remember a downhill run you can't remember all of it it's all just a bit of a blur and it's it's getting into that state of flow where you're not like when you're flying down a hill at 20 30 40 miles an hour you're not thinking you're not consciously choosing your lines because it's too fast isn't it you're almost subconsciously making them yeah no exactly and i mean especially in a, in a downhill race where you've had you know at least one day of practice to ride the track you know you know the track really well it's sort of I think you can always tell that when you watch someone ride, if they're kind of thinking their way down a hill, like when okay. you practice a track, you should be learning like the muscle memory for the track. So when I ride, I'm not like, oh, I need to 
thing about doing this corner and that corner and you know pedal here it's all automatic yeah so it's like if i get to the bottom and i remember a section of track i'm like oh i must have messed that up like i only like take a mental note if i'm like oh i screwed up my line or i had a mistake or something like that yeah so how do you get out of your own head then um, it's one thing to be honest I've been working on a lot recently so one thing that I was doing and maybe doing wrong was really psyching myself up before a downhill I had uh, Alan Milway on the podcast who's the trainer to like the Athertons and people like that and he was saying that the average person being the 95% of your everyday rider probably gets themselves too psyched up before a downhill run and actually they should be trying to chill out and calm down which is what you just said then and I found I was doing the same I was starting it and I was kind of like breathing heavy and getting myself pumped up and I was really trying to attack the downhill and then now I ride completely differently in that I'm actually really trying to chill out and relax and slow my breathing and just kind of go with the flow if you like and my times have been way 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 better like I feel better on the downhills but the times have been quicker as well and do you do anything on the way down to stay out of your own head like do you sing songs to yourself or do you focus on your breathing or what what do you do to to not try and take over from your subconscious if that makes sense um I kind of don't really know it is very much I just focus on you know what I'm doing everywhere you know it's very much just focus on the line focus on the track it's you know sort of is focusing on what I'm doing at that moment and particularly not worrying about any sections of track. I feel like if I ride down and I'm thinking about a particularly hard section further down the track, I, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll mess up sections further up because I'm too busy worrying about the section at the bottom. And it's just, I feel like it's, um, yeah, it's really important for me that I sort out all my lines before I race so that there's no thought about, oh, um, you know, am I going to take the high line or the low line? You know, it's all already sorted and it's everything's yeah. done. And at that point, all I'm doing is writing exactly what I've written already with, you know, no stress. Got you. So it's all about that preparation and then staying calm before you actually head down the hill. Yeah. And I think no doubt, like a lot of people think when you say, oh, stay calm, that means riding chill. But, you know, I'm actually a really, really aggressive rider. Like I pedal a lot and I pump everywhere I can it's kind of one of the things people always note about me is I'm look like I'm trying really hard but you know I think you can do that and still be calm like I don't you know psych myself up like when I'm on the start gate all I'm thinking about is the, the track I'm not thinking about okay I need to pedal really hard and pump as hard as I can and you know do all the stuff it's just I'm here I'm on the start and you know let's go ride a bike down a hill yeah yeah no I get it I totally get it and I love it I think that's what it's all about isn't it really just trying to stay focused on the downhill rather than thinking about a million other things it's easier said than done though sometimes oh no hugely I mean I've been racing for what six years now and you know it's still still kind of something I'm getting better at like um my most recent race was Crankworx Rotorua which um has always been a really sort of a hard race for me because the track is really really difficult it's sort of it's it's weird because it's not even hard like a world cup track is it's yeah you know it's quite steep but it's really high risk there's a lot of big drops and crazy big jumps and um like i've almost always had a big crash there every year like i think i've got a new helmet there i think the past three years running <laughs> keep smashing them, and it's, it's nice expensive uh, race for you <laughs> yeah no it's not ideal but um and so every year I go there, I get a lot more nervous than I normally would because, you know, 
there's so much to think about. There's so many sections that I'm like, you know, not doing the line I want to be doing. And, you know, it's sort of it's such a mess. But um, this year I finally got all the jumps. And although I didn't get all the lines I wanted to do, I got most of them. Which oh, was nice. A lot better than it has been in the past. And I think it's, yeah, it's kind of whether or not you're doing the line you want to do, it's knowing that you the lines you have been doing are the lines you're going to do. Because if you are still umming and ahhing, that means you're thinking about your run and you don't want to think about your run. You just want to do it, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, 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 of course it does. And I think for your everyday rider listening to this, it's just it's it's putting that into practice, isn't it? I think it's a really, really good thing to think about before you drop into those downhills because it's the complete opposite of what most people do. It was definitely the complete opposite of what I do. I was trying to overthink everything and trying really, really hard on the downhills, but it is the opposite. It's letting yourself go with go with the flow. Yeah, no, it's um it's yeah, it's hugely important. Yeah. You just gotta chill out and ride. Yeah. So if it's all right to you, I'd like to kind of come back and talk about your first race as a female competitor. So you got accepted into the female league like quite last minute, didn't you, before your race? Um, yeah, it was sort of um, there'd been a little bit going on in the background. Psych New Zealand kind of didn't really have a policy. They were sort of formulating okay. one. And you know, I was sort of like, hey, just use the same one that the Olympic Committee and UCI are using. That's fine. So they kind of did that. And then, you know, I had to sort of then jump through hoops and like I think one of the big parts of the rule is that it, in the end it is up to them to decide if it's fair or not it's not just a sort of um I guess it's not just a kind of they like look at the hormone levels okay you're good to go so they look at the hormone levels they look at your racing history you know yeah. they look at kind of everything and then go okay no we think it is fair so you're good to go so yeah it was it wasn't super last minute but it was definitely fairly tight so I sort of it was um there was a sort of local series of races which I raced in the men's field and then I think about a month break and then I started racing in the female field and ironically it was sort of fairly chill to begin with because um at the first couple of national races that I was racing in the women's field there were almost no other female competitors because um I guess it was a mix of some were sick some were injured and um also just because New Zealand doesn't have a great sort of uh, downhill women's riding scene so it was sort of yeah, it was sort of not such a big deal because there was no one else racing. Okay, so I'd, I read an interview you did, I couldn't tell you what website it was on, and it said that your first race in the women's field, like you say, was against almost against yourself, if you like. I thought there was a, kind of like a hidden message in that, that a lot of people like refused to race, but it wasn't that, was it? I just made that up. Yeah, no, actually, um, a lot of people have sort of been like, oh, you know, like, women are going to stop racing, but actually it's had no impact on um the amount of riders who've been racing in fact actually in the last year the woman downhill women's riding scene in um New Zealand has boomed it's far bigger than it ever has been um oh, brilliant and I mean I don't think that's because of me or anything there's a lot of women who are trying really hard to bring people in and you know running coaching courses and like a group of um Rotorua local girls ran a um a woman's only downhill race down there um a couple of months ago and it's sort of you know there's a lot of people putting a lot of effort in but um, actually, for those first couple of races, it was just me. It was just because people were sick and, you know, there was sort of a bunch yeah. of things that were going on. It really didn't have to do with me at all. Yeah, I understand. Why do you think that 
women do kind of struggle to get into mountain biking. It's a much smaller scene because it's something, as a guy, it's something I'd love to talk about more on the podcast. But being a guy, I obviously have a completely different perspective at all. So why do you think that there aren't anywhere near as many women? I think, so my Facebook page, I think is 15% women, 85% men. And it's the same across like Instagram and everything else. And the that's not because I advertise more to men. That's just because they're kind of, I think that's probably the statistics of mountain bikers maybe like 10 15 percent women to 85 90 percent guys why why do you think that is um i think a big part of it is, is it's quite hard to kind of break past the barrier of um you know there is so many men it can feel very difficult to you know come into a race when it's you know just you or a couple of other girls and then i mean a normal new zealand down race i think there's normally around 100 men and maybe three or four girls like it's you know it's quite hard to kind of um break into it and also there's you know i guess the like the pressure i know a lot of girls talk about they don't want to um feel like they're pressured to you know push really hard and take lots of risks they just want to have fun and when you're racing it's a lot of really serious guys who are you know not necessarily that quick but you know they actually serious and then you know like psyching themselves up and trying really hard which is really cool but you know it sort of it can be quite intimidating and you know you sort of see um i guess a lot more um girls doing enduro races and that kind of thing because it is that kind of more chill environment and um you know they feel less intimidated yeah and what about women mountain biking in general so like mountain biking is a very male dominated sport and uh, there, there's a massive female riding scene and i a lot of the people in my members group who like follow my programs and um, a lot of the more serious one are actually women like there's there's probably a greater skew of women who really nail my training programs to the percentage of women who follow me. Does that make sense? So like I say, it's like 15% of women who follow me. But when we look at the people who nail the training program, that percentage is probably higher skewed towards women, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm making sense there. Um, But my point is like, why, why do you think that there aren't as many women who mountain bike and what, can be done to get more women into mountain biking so not even necessarily just racing um but just riding more um i think a big part of it is just like it's sort of you know mountain biking is such a sort of community driven sport like you're i don't think anyone really gets into mountain biking by themselves you know it's always a friend who gets you into it you know parents siblings and i think you look at a lot of people and because it's such a male-dominated sport it's sort of um you know, it's very difficult for, you know, girls to get other girls to ride because it's, it isn't something that girls really do. So, you know, most of the girls I know who race, it's because a brother or a male friend has gotten to do it. And I think what we need to do as female riders is to get more girls riding because that way we can then build a female community that can then sort of grow and self-perpetuate kind of itself rather than, you know, sort of boyfriends and yeah. brothers or friends, you know, getting us to ride. It's sort of more about us getting us to ride, if that makes sense. It does make perfect sense. You're absolutely... I'd never considered that before, but you're absolutely right. I suppose if you've got... let's say there's a thousand men who mountain bike and there's a hundred women who mountain bike the thousand men are going to ask a lot more of the male friends to ride and obviously by extension it grows much faster whereas the hundred women even if 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 a thousand men ask five of the mates to ride with them that's five thousand mountain bikers but a hundred women ask five of the mates that's only 500 and obviously the further up you get with that the numbers get bigger and bigger so that makes sense uh do you think there are any other reasons 
Um, I mean, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's really hard. There's so many things going on, you know, it's sort of in our society, you know, we sort of push men to do more physical activity, more sports and, you know, sort of true, sort of less so on the woman's side of things. I mean, there are a lot of sports, which, you know, women doing the sport is more about, you know, aesthetics and having something pretty to look at and yeah. not really rewarding a high level of athletic performance. I mean, there was a quote from someone at FIFA about, if the um, women's soccer teams wanted to get paid more, they should wear shorter skirts, like, which is, you know, a really horrible way of looking at, um, you know, female sporting. And I think that's really hard for, you know, if you are not in a sport, you see that sort of, I guess, treatment in the sport. It's like, why would I want to be involved with that? Like, if I'm doing a sport, I want to do it well and, you know, do my best and not just kind of be ogled at. Yeah, yeah. So... I agree completely, and I think that's horrible. Like, and it is something that I massively think should should change. Um, to there'll be to some people. So let me word the question right. So there'll be some women listening to this who kind of get nervous to ride with men and would rather ride in groups of women, and they may be nervous to go to a trail centre on their own when they're surrounded by men. I would say you're in a very very good position to give advice on how to ignore the opinions of others and do it anyway. What's your advice to uh, to women who are nervous about being judged by men and about being judged about being slow? Um, and to be honest, it'll apply to guys as well. But what's your advice to those women who are who are, I suppose the question in a sense is what's your advice to women who are nervous of other people's opinions what should they do how should they get over that um honestly I would I would sort of treat it the same as you know wanting to go to a gym or anything it's like people aren't really gonna care and yeah. I think as long as you're obviously having fun and having a good time and you know trying your best um you know people are gonna be chilled with that obviously there are gonna be sticks in the mud who are like oh you know you need to pedal faster and go harder but most people are just stoked that you're going to be out there on a bike and having fun and yeah. you know i think a lot of riding communities have a full range of you know people from you know ex pros to you know people have just started riding bikes so you know find the people who are new and ride with them and you know sort of find people who are similar skill level and speed to you and ride yeah with them and but really people don't care like just have fun and yeah. people are happy to wait at the bottom of the track for an extra couple of minutes normally. Yeah, I totally agree. And if they're not, you're probably just riding with the wrong people. Like just get with the crowd who are really chilled out and don't mind. And to yeah, be honest, no, that, exactly. that applies to slow, I'm like saying it in speech marks, like slow guys as well as slow girls. Like it's no different. Like there's some like, I'm sure if me and UK went and rolled together, you would batter me on the downhills. Like you, you genuinely would. You'd leave <laughs> me standing. So it's not even necessarily a guy girl thing it's just a slow fast thing and if you go riding with your friends like i've um some people sometimes get nervous to come riding with me like i'll invite people on a ride because like oh you'd be super fit or you'd be faster than me and like i honestly don't care like if i'm if i know that someone is less fit than me and i'm inviting them for a ride that's because i want to go for a ride like i don't care if i'm faster or slower up the hills uh, and on the flip side like um jack redding who's a downhill racer and um, a world cup downhill racer i think he places like top 20 he's like rapid yeah, yeah, and super fit 
Yeah, there you go. So he invited me for a ride the other day. The dates didn't match up. He's, he lives locally to me. Uh, and he's way fitter than me. And it'd be too easy for me to be like, oh, no, he's way fitter than me. Like, it'd be a crap ride. I won't be able to keep up. But he knows I'm not as fit as him. And he's inviting me. So what he's automatically saying there is he doesn't mind waiting for me. And um, So I think it's important to know that if fitter riders are riding with you, they know that you're less fit. And they honestly do not care. They just like your company. And um, what they'll probably do is just go out for training rides on the own when they can hammer themselves yeah no no exactly and that's the thing is like I ride 90% of the time by myself but when I do you know invite someone for a ride or go out for a ride with a you know group of other girls I'm planning on going at their speed and you know just having yeah. fun and having it's more of a social event I think yes. that's really the thing is it's like you know people forget that they think every ride is a race but yeah no it's like it's really not it's you know like going to the pub but instead of drinking beer you're on your bike yeah. That's totally true. And you know what? For someone like yourself who 90% of the time trains on your own and trains hard, it's probably quite nice to be able to have, like, to go slow and to not push oh, yourself. Oh, God, you have, have no idea. When someone's like, oh, you know, we were hoping that you come out for a group, ride with our group. And I'm like, oh, my God, please. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I could just ride for fun. <laughs> yeah, I no, think it's crazy. Enough- Another one, obviously, that's on the way up, um, the fitness side of things. Like like you say, when people genuinely don't care if you're slower, like they, they just do not care. If they're riding with you, they probably know your fitness level. And if they're there, they know already. They don't mind waiting at the top and they'll be glad to just chill out on the way up and have a chat. And I think on the other side of it as well, people get quite nervous to get off and push and not hit a drop or a jump or to walk a steep bit of track. And sometimes that can put, put people off riding with other people. But again, in that situation, like nobody cares whether you're pushing down the hill or whether you're riding it all. Like they don't judge. Everyone's just there to have a laugh. And I think that's what's great about mountain biking. So I think for those people who are worrying about other people's opinions and they're a bit nervous to ride in a group or to enter an event, like genuinely nobody else cares it's it's in your head rather than in theirs and if if a person does make a sarcastic comment or they do care then you you don't want to be riding with that person anyway yeah no 100% people are just so stoked to ride like and they're stoked you're riding it's and yeah if someone's being you know really um critical of your riding go ride with someone else like yeah I agree never in there's an ever-ending supply of stoked people who ride bikes and yeah so find someone else. Yeah, it's too true. Um, I think good ways, some actual practical tips you can do to find other people. One of the things I found was I went into my local bike shop and I just told him that I wanted to ride with people and he invited me out riding with his group of mates. So that was great. I ended up going out with a group of 10 people and he also put me in touch with two or three people who wouldn't mind me riding and he just said, here's the number, text them. So I text them and then they were stoked to go riding with me and we ended up being like friends ever since and we still ride probably every two or three months together. Um, so if you are struggling with people to uh, to find, go and ask in your local bike shop. And the other spade, the other side of it as well, is in local Facebook groups. Because if you, there'll be riding groups on Facebook for your area. So just post in there uh, and just ask, and you'll you'll find someone to ride with. Yeah, you must have obviously had quite a bit of abuse and negative. Um, stuff if we say coming at you how do you have a thick skin and how do you annoy it all like i imagine some of it gets to you sometimes how do you how do you not let it get to you yeah it's been um it's been a bit of a wild ride the last you know year or so it's kind of you know it really kind of i guess got to a peak when i won national champs last year um you know there was a sort of 
a whole bunch of things that kind of all peaked into, you know, making it look really like, I think I won by like 30 or 40 seconds, which is a huge gap, which given um, I won by that gap because the second place finisher, you know, she was, um, had been struggling with glandular fever and there was kind of all these things that kind of went into that. And so it sort of, it looked really bad. So as a result, a lot of people were really, really upset with me, you know, as they said it, you know, ruining women's mountain biking. Um, and I think a lot of it is so kind of, I guess, obscenely over the top. Hey, it's actually easy to overlook, you know, when people are just calling you a freak, it's like, oh, well, okay. you know, whatever, like, you know, they're just the, the kind of vocal minority. It's more so when people are kind of ignorant, but more reasonable that I get sort of concerned or really hurt that, you know, yeah. those people are, I guess, kind of against me. And I think, the, the best way I've found to deal with it is just really not to not to focus on it. Like, you know, the people who matter in my life aren't saying that kind of thing. And even, mm. you know, the other pro women aren't saying that kind of thing. It's really just kind of punters on the internet who, yeah. you know, actually in the long run don't matter. They're not who's, you know, going to sponsor me or, you know, kind of who I'm racing against at races or my friends or family. And it's like, yeah, so I found the best way just to kind of, forget about it and you know not read the comments and that kind of thing yeah i get it there's a there's a good quote i'm probably going to massacre it now but it's those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter and that's yeah. kind of a great way of putting it. Um, it's 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 in it's a, in a completely different way, but because the audience of MTB Fitness is quite big, I get abuse like on a I don't know probably every couple of days, like people will rant and rave, and uh, it, it's for completely different reasons. They'll find all sorts of things. And for me, I don't mind people ranting at me if it's for something that I believe in. So like I'm very pro e-bike. I think they're a great thing for many reasons. One of the biggest thing is that they just get people who want to ride out on the bikes so i think they're a, i think they're a good thing so i don't mind when people chuck hate at me for that because it's something that i believe in so if you're gonna throw abuse at me go for it and um, but every now and again like something does get to you so it's easy to read a comment when someone will spend like you know they'll have they'll put a full paragraph slating me for whatever i've said um and it's it's at the time, I'll be split, so I'll be like, ah, I don't care about them, like, I don't matter. But then I'll find that I'm thinking about it throughout the day, and it'll be 12 hours later, and I'm still, like, every now and again, it keeps coming up, and I'm like, yeah, that person this morning. Um, I think it's easier to ignore it with time, but sometimes it does get to you, and I think it's, from my point of view, which is to a much smaller degree, um, I've not had to deal with as much, um, you know, internet abuse as I imagine that you probably have from idiots with dogs as the profile photo so you can never see them <laughs> um, but i think he's just trying to ignore it really but do you have any other tips for people listening on, on yeah that? I, I think time is the biggest thing like yeah. i think so sort of sitting yeah. down and thinking about stuff logically because um a lot of the time for me it's you know the people who are you know providing their not necessarily wanted opinions are yeah. um you know they're coming from a place of ignorance and not really understanding the situation and you know like really when people sit down and meet me and they talk to me and they sort of see that I'm you know not six foot five and you know <laughs> built so, like the yeah, mountain yeah. or something you know it's sort of I'm you know reasonably small and you know like I you know on the street I look like any other girl you'd meet you know I don't look you know sort of like a man with long hair and 
you know, it's sort of, I think when people see that and they meet me and they talk to me and they find out, you know, sort of all the things I've done to ensure that, you know, it's, it's fair for me to race and, you know, all the training I do and everything, people go, oh, actually, no, like, that makes a lot of sense. Like, and, you know, there are a lot of people who have changed their opinions. Like, there are a lot of people when I first came up, they're like, oh, that's can't be fair. That's, you know, horrible. And then, you know, sort of looking at how I finished in the races, you know, like my World Cup finishes last year and everything, they've sort of changed their opinion and gone, actually, you know, no, this is fine. You know, she's just like any other girl. So do you think that you do have an unfair advantage or not? No, God, I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I definitely don't think I do. Um, Like, if, if for nothing else, just looking at, you know, where I finish in the races. You know, I, at the moment, I'm training full-time. I have been, you know, sort of uh, since, I think, October last year. And I was training still almost full-time last year while I was studying. And, um, you know, and I did have some really great finishes and some really great times. But, you know, there are almost no other Kiwi women who are training or riding as much as I do. So it kind of makes sense that I would be winning here. And then when I went and raced overseas, um, I got a 12th in uh, Balasol and a 10th in Andorra. And, you know, kind of those those placings were right where you would expect me to be, considering, okay. you know, sort of my training age, how long I've been riding, you know, everything that you would expect if I'd been sort of, I guess, born a woman, sort of my results were what you would expect. Yeah. And are the other pros that you race against supportive? Um, yeah, it's kind of not something we really talk about a lot with, um, right. I'm still not kind of quite, I guess, in with them, but, you know, like I know, um, a few of them reasonably well and, you know, all the girls I was racing with at, um, Crankworks were super chill and, um, you know, really friendly and when I went over, over the World Cups, you know, no one was really mean or sort of ostracized me or really sort of particularly outwardly hostile and, so, you know, short of actually sitting down and being like, hey, are you chill with this? Um, as far as I can tell, they can't, yeah. you know, they don't, yeah, dislike me. That's great. I think that's really good. And I think that's the way that it should be. Um, and I think it's normal for people to think that you would have an unfair advantage, like, like myself included. Like when you first, if you read a headline about it, you're like, oh, a man goes to a woman. Surely they're going to have bigger muscles and a greater lung capacity. Yeah, and they're just going to be physically stronger. Like, and, I, and I'm an educated trainer and I would think the same thing. But then when you start looking into it, and like you say, you never actually hit male puberty or you did really late and then you cut it off straight away so you haven't actually had the chance to develop the muscles that a typical guy would so yeah yeah I, yeah uh, no it is it is really hard because it is such a counterintuitive thing you know people yeah. have you know sort of preconceived ideas and you know i mean like i don't know maybe if someone did transition later in life they may have an advantage you know i don't yeah. know but it's sort of you know there is a lot of you know sort of um estrogen and taking away testosterone has a huge impact on the body so yeah. for example um i had a six month break between when i started having my testosterone blocked and then when i started estrogen and in that time you um lose a lot of bone density um if you don't have any sex hormones actually for an extended period of time it can lead to osteoporosis um right. yeah so for me i lost a lot of bone density and then when you start estrogen um like red blood cell count drops um muscles atrophy um, you actually have some change of muscle twitch fibers. So you have a greater um, amount of slow twitch fibers. Um, yeah. You know, obviously some stuff like bone structure doesn't change, lung size doesn't change, but 
you know, that is so variant to how big a, a person is physically that it's sort of, it's too hard to say, oh, everyone who's born male would have an advantage over everyone who's born female. I mean, of course. you look at, you look at me compared to say like Rachel Atherton or, you know, Miranda Miller or, you know, any of the big girls who race and, you know, I'm no, like, I mean, especially Rachel Atherton, she's, oh my God, she's insane. She's so big. <laughs> yeah she's a she's a beast isn't she <laughs> yeah it's incredible i'm like wow i need to do some more squats <laughs> and to be honest it sounds like if anything you could argue that you've come from a disadvantage because obviously you had all that illness as a child and then you don't have the normal hormones that a woman has if that makes sense like they've just got natural hormone levels they don't have to like to uh mess around with them the wrong way but they don't have to even like think about them they can just focus on the training whereas you've got that added layer to think about with right you're taking the pills if that's the right way right way yeah, that you yeah, take yeah. them and you you've you you've also you've actually got you can't just concentrate on your training and your riding and your nutrition you've got that extra layer which you could argue puts you at a disadvantage rather than advantage yeah and it, it definitely does play a little bit of my mind like i think you know, you're talking earlier about, you know, the average testosterone levels in male and females. But, yeah. you know, I would put money on the fact that a lot of the girls I race against probably don't have, you know, an, the average level of testosterone. You know, they're probably higher. You know, you look yeah. at, you know, how big they are and how strong they are. And, you know, you, yeah. genetics does play a big role at the top level of sporting. And Absolutely. Kind of, as a result, I would hazard a guess that I probably have lower testosterone levels than a lot of the women I'm racing against, which yeah. does mean that it's harder for me to build muscle, harder to, you know, sort of, yeah, get get faster, get stronger. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, definitely. Um, and genetics, uh, and <laughs> yeah, it has a massive factor. You know, you look at someone like Usain Bolt, like he's just genetically mm -hmm. very, very, very yeah. fast. He could not train or run for three years and he would still probably wipe the floor with 99% <laughs> of the population. Like it's uh, genetics is a huge, is a huge factor. Yeah. So, no, and, and no doubt I'm, I'm lucky that I'm, you know, reasonably tall. I'm I think five foot nine or five foot 10, you know, and I've got a reasonably good build for downhill, but you know, it's sort of yeah. genetics do play such a huge role. It's, you know, it's really hard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the biggest thing I'd like to say, really, I think for everybody listening, I think it's inspiring that you've you just brush off what uh, it, to you, you're almost like, yeah, it's cool. I just transitioned to a woman, and then I'm racing in the women's, and I've had a bit of an abuse, but most people have been chilled, and it's all good. <laughs> you almost yeah. like play it down like it's a non-event, uh, and I think that's inspiring to everybody listening because there'll be a lot of people listening who worry about such smaller things like being a little bit unfit on the climbs or like doing daft at a race and you see someone like yourself who's going to have come under or has come under so much more criticism on a much higher level and you're just cracking on anyway and it's like you can tell it's genuinely just like yeah it's fine and I think that's really inspiring so keep up the good work is what I'd say and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on <laughs> no no stress but yeah no, it's I think um a huge part of everything is people think that other people are thinking of certain things or doing certain things, but it's yeah. really just, you know, being within yourself and, you know, thinking about what you know and what you can do and just doing the best that you can do. And, you know, like just focusing on that, because as you say, you know, people who mind don't matter. Yeah, exactly that. Like just there's, there's billions, what is there? 7 billion people in the world, 6 billion people <laughs> in the world. There's 
plenty yeah. of other people who are going to be supportive. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah. Just find those people. And you know what? The A lot of the things that you're worried about are in your head. They're not actually what other people are thinking. Like if I saw a lady come down a downhill behind me and whether she was slow or fast, like like you said, I'd just be happy that she was out riding. I'd probably yeah. be like thinking about something completely different. I'd be focusing on my line or I'd be thinking about what I was having for dinner or like it wouldn't, the things that she's worried that another rider would be thinking about probably just aren't on even on their minds but i think if if you can have such thick skin and just crack on and do what you want to do and what you makes you happy then people who don't have quite as big uh, prejudices can you know can learn from that and can do what they want to do as well and i think everyone's going to be happier because of it yeah no i think i think that's the thing is you know a lot of people you know they they just don't know and it's really hard to kind of wrap your mind about around things so it's you know i hope that you know by doing this kind of thing i can help people you know sort of get their heads around it yeah yeah no definitely it's been it's been fascinating for me because i've not had a chance to speak to a transgender athlete so it's really fascinating from my point of view and i'm sure everybody listening uh, will have been fascinated as well um two things to end on so first thing where do people need to go to follow you like on instagram twitter facebook whatever your preferred methods are uh, just Instagram, really. I do have a Facebook, but I don't really post on it that much. Um, yeah. So it's just Kate Weatherly MTB um, on Instagram, and I'm pretty much constantly posting about training, writing, whatever. Um, <laughs> bit of a social media geek. So, um, yeah, if you want to kind of catch up with what I, I'm doing and will be doing in the future, follow me there. Yeah, brilliant. That's great. And then the final question, you've listened to the podcast, so you know what I'm going to ask. <laughs> it's completely open-ended. What sort of message would you like to end the podcast on? Um, yeah, I know. I should have thought about this um, <laughs> coming in because I know it was coming. Um, I just think really like, you know, the only person who really matters in the long run when it comes to, you know, writing and, you know, how fast you are and everything is you. Like it's, you know, you should just think about what you want to do, you know, not what your partner wants you to do, not what your friends or other writers, you know, really there is no expectation of you to be at a certain speed or, you know, be of a certain fitness. And, you know, if you enjoy, you know, going fast or, you know, training hard, then you should do that and not worry about what anyone else thinks because, you know, when you start thinking about what other people think, you know, that's going to make things harder and, you know, you're kind of going to get confused and, you know, really in the long run it doesn't matter because you know mountain biking is just you know you're just riding bikes like you know just have fun and do what you want to do absolutely just enjoy it have fun yeah 100 percent. perfect well that's a brilliant way to end thank you so much for coming on i've really really enjoyed chatting to you and i know people will enjoy listening to it so uh until next time thank you very much no worries thank you Hey podcast, welcome back. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. Like I say, Kate is absolutely fascinating and super inspiring. The way that she just kind of cracks on despite all the pressure that will have been put on and all that side of things, I think is really inspiring. So yeah, I hope you really enjoyed the episode. It's glorious sunshine here in uh, Saddleworth in the UK. I'm northwest England. Uh, I'm about to go for a ride. Winner, winner. It's about four o'clock at night, something like that. And it is. It's about 21 degrees, which if you live in the UK, you'll know that is one. 
heard of. So the bike's lubed up and everything and ready to rock. And I'm about to go out riding. So I hope you really enjoyed this episode. If you did, please feel free to leave a review. I would really appreciate that. And for all the rest of the information on MTB Fitness, just head over to www.mtb.fitness. And to find out a little bit more about Kate, just follow all the links in my bio and that'll link you to her Instagram and all that jazz. Um, But yeah, apart from that, thanks so much for tuning in for another episode. I will see you next week for another. Thanks so much.